0: Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch, and we're glad you are joining us tonight. The difficult times we live in begs the question, where is God during our most challenging times? We believe the more the world becomes chaotic, the more we need to draw closer to God and learn to trust in Him. The Bible is our source for all things that sustain us as Christians. Philippians 4:7 tells us that we can have the kind of peace that transcends all understanding, even when the world seems to be completely out of control. Over the next 30 minutes, Pastor Dudley Rutherford is going to share a message meant for everyone listening right now. We know it is no accident you are with us tonight, for God orchestrates all things perfectly. So let's join Pastor Dudley right now with tonight's message.
1: Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're in a sermon series called Trophies of Grace, and we're going through the book of Ephesians. We began this series with verse 1. I want you to note it says, uh, and Paul, the author, he's under house arrest. Uh, He used to preach, he actually started this church. It's been about three years in Ephesus. It was the only Christian church in the entire city, the only church in the whole city. And uh, he got arrested for preaching. It's been about 10 years, and he writes this letter back to the church in Ephesus. And the very first verse, it's written and addressed to the saints. Everybody say saints. And uh, the Bible teaches, and we've already looked at this, but the Bible teaches if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a faithful follower of Jesus Christ you are a saint whether you feel like it or not that's what the Bible calls you you see it here in the very first verse Paul and I want you to write this down back to your notes in the first half of the first chapter he writes about all the things that they and when I say they I'm talking about the saints what they have And they have a lot of things. Amen. He spends the second half of this chapter, which we're going to look at here today, things that they, and when I say they, I'm talking about the saints, things that they still yet need. Now, if you've been with us the last two weeks, you know that they had a lot. They had been uh, chosen. They had been predestined. They had been adopted. They had been graced and redeemed and forgiven and informed and sealed and also included they had a lot and yet he says uh, even though you've got all this there's still some things you still yet need now how many of you know you know that even if you are a saint here today that you're saved here today And even though you've come a long, long ways from where you used to be when you were lost, how many of you know, spiritually, there's still some things you still yet need in your life spiritually? How many of you know that's true? Well, let's pick it up at verse 15. Verse 15 says, for this reason, ever since I heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus, and he had heard that this church—he'd been gone for 10 years— He had heard that this church had great love for God, trust in God, and love for saints. They had a reputation for this. How many of you know that every church has a reputation? This church has a reputation. This last week, the Daily News did a poll, and they polled all their readers about where was the best place to worship. And guess what church won? Shepherd of the Hills won the best place to worship. I didn't know it was the best, but they said it was the best. We have a reputation of being a racially diverse church. Not every church is racially diverse. In fact, most churches, most, probably 80% of churches in L.A. are still today just one race. And yet we kind of are known as a church that's racially diverse. We also have a reputation for a church that stands on the Word of God. That no matter what happens, this church, we believe and stand on the Word of God. It's my prayer that one day we will be known and have a reputation. Oh, that's that church that loves God and that church that loves people. That's my prayer. That's the church at Ephesus. And so he says in verse 16 "Uh, since I've heard all this, I have not stopped, this is continually, I have not stopped giving thanks. He was thankful. For, for you and remembering you in my prayers. He was grateful and prayerful. Grateful and prayerful. Sounds like a good pastor to me. A pastor should be grateful and prayerful. That's what he was. And then he comes to verse 17 and he says, I keep, and this is the title of the sermon, I keep, I keep, I keep, I keep. I keep what? I keep asking. And he asked for five things for this church and as we go through this text, you will discover that even though they were saints, there were five things that they still needed. And these five things are the same things we need here today. Are you with me? Look at verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and, dis- and revelation, that's discernment, so that you may know him what better that's point number one he's praying even though they're a saint he's praying that they would know him better an atheist says that there is no god an agnostic says there may be a god but you can never actually know him personally paul is saying oh not only is there a god And not only can you know him, but you can actually know him even better. I'm convinced that no matter how much you think that you know God, you could know God a little bit better if you wanted to. Uh, It's possible, you know, to bring a Bible to church and not really know God. Paul said to the church at Ephesus, you know God. Well, I've heard about your faith in God. I've heard about your love for all the saints. I... I know that you love God, that you put your faith in God. But he goes, I've got some things I want to pray about. And my number one prayer for you is, even though you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, my prayer is that you would know him just a little bit better. Because no matter how much you know him, you can always get to know him just a little bit better. Now, there's two ways to know someone. Number one, write this down. You've got to spend some time with that person. That's the only way you get to know somebody. That's why you need to come to church. That's why you need to worship. That's why you need a quiet time. That's why you need to go to life group. That's why you need to read your Bible. That's why you need to pray. If you want to get to know God, you've got to spend some time with God. Number two, write this down. You've got to go through some tough times with that person. Because you really don't get to know someone unless you go through a tough time with that person. See, a lot of you, as soon as you've got tough times, you split. You I've seen this in couples all the time. They get problems, they just leave. Well, you never solve the problem. You never really get to know each other when you do that. The couples that are here that have been through some trials, some tough times, and they made a commitment, even though we have some tough times, we're going to stick together, we're going to work through this, those are the couples that truly know each other here today. When you go through a trial in this world, guess who you end up getting to know? You get to know God. And one day, when you wise up, you're going to realize God was the one that got you through this trial. You're going to wake up one day and realize that God was the one who provided. God was my protector. Now, let's go to point number two. He prayed not only uh that they would know him better, second thing he prayed that they would they would understand this thing called hope. And he says in verse 18, he says, I pray also. Everybody say the word also. So I pray, I I pray that you know him better, but I also I have got an hey, I've got another prayer. That that the eyes of your heart, I don't even know if you knew your heart had eyeballs. But he said, my prayer is that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you've been called. I got three things to say about hope. Number one, hope does not mean hope so. You going to heaven? Well, I hope so. <laughs> Do you have the Holy Spirit in you? I hope so. Are you saved? Oh, I, I mean, I hope I'm saved. Let me ask you this question: If you died right now, right now, this very moment, if you died right now, you just fell over dead, would you? Do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? Well, I, 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 I hope so. That's not what. He, that's not the hope that's mentioned here. The Greek word. Write this down. Number two. The Greek word is elpis. It sounds like I got a disease. I got elpis. I can't. I got something. Elpis is a Greek word that means confidence, expectation. It's a word that means assurance. It's not I hope so, it's I know so. It's a fact. It's without a doubt. I'm fully trusting and resting in this hope and in this assurance. You see, if you are not a Christian, if you're here right now and you're not saved, all you've got is hope so. That's all you've got is hope so. If you're not a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you have Elpis you've got assurance you've got a belief and a a confidence in the things of god that's why ephesians chapter 2 we'll get to it in verse 12 and 13 says that when we were lost we were without hope lost people have no hope lost people all they have is hope so for christians we have hope we have a belief we have confidence we have an expectation that no matter what happens in this life I've put my hope and faith in Jesus Christ and I, I have this hope, this assurance that one day I'm going to be with Jesus no matter what happens in this life I've placed my hope in heaven my hope in Jesus Christ through the rain I don't care if it's raining or if the sun is shining my hope is in Jesus Christ through the good times and through the bad times my hope is in Jesus Christ Let me add, write this down. Hope becomes a motivating force. Once you've truly put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you have this assurance of everlasting life, it's not I hope I'm saved, it's I know I'm saved. It's not I think I'm going to heaven, I know I'm going to heaven. Once you have this hope and belief that Jesus Christ is going to return, it motivates you to live a pure life. Now I just want to read some verses. In First John chapter two, in context, it's talking about the truth, the fact that one day Jesus Christ is going to return. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ is going to return? Do you hope he returns? Or do you know he's returning? Oh, that's hope. That's hope. You have put your hope there. In First John chapter three, look at these words, thinking about that, How great is the love? the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are verse 2 says dear friends now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known but we know that when he appears that we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and here it is in verse 3 everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Our hope in Christ motivates us to live a pure life. Hope has a purifying effect. Number three, our third thing that he prays for, and and I want to explain this, that they would understand that they are God's inheritance. Now, this is going to sound strange to you at first, but let me explain Did you know that God has an inheritance? say, what are you talking about? Well, look at verse 18. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. And he's also praying that you would understand the riches of his. Does it say his glorious inheritance or your? What does the Bible say? The riches of... His glorious inheritance in the what? In the saints. The saints are God's inheritance. You say, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? You are God's most treasured possession. And it's not that we're down here waiting on him. Write this down. He's actually waiting on you you matter to god you are valuable to god you see we were lost and god he loved us so much he couldn't stand the fact that we were lost and he sent his son jesus to come to the earth to find us and he goes to the cross and he dies so that we might be saved that we might be rescued that we might be redeemed that we might be adopted and all those things we've been talking about God looked down on us. He loved us so much. He sent Jesus to come get us so that one day we might go and be with Him. We're all sitting down here right now thinking, man, this is so cool. One day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back for us. And God's up there, oh, this is great. I can't wait. One day my treasured possession will come to be and come and live with me for all of eternity. That's what makes God excited. Before the creation of the world, God had this plan to create you and to have fellowship with you and to adopt you and to forgive you and to grace you and to redeem you. But what He wants, He wants you to come and dwell with Him forever. It is so amazing to think that God is waiting for us. In fact, the last 2,000 years, He's been working on your your mansion, the place where you're going to live. He's already made all the traveling arrangements. He knows exactly when you're going. You don't know, but He knows. He's already taken care of all the expense of this trip for you to get up there when he sent Jesus to die on that cross. In other words, you matter to God. You say, wait a minute, preacher. You got the wrong guy. You're mistaken. I am no good. I've blown it so many times. My own family has disowned me. No one would want to spend time with me or care about me. And I say, oh, you've never been more mistaken about anything in your entire life. The God of this universe created you to have fellowship with him and i want you to write this down god doesn't see you for who you are god sees you for who you'll become you remember a guy named peter peter was impulsive he was unfaithful he was brash he was inconsistent he was hypocritical he was foul mouth he denied that he even knew the lord but the lord looked at him and said peter you are a rock Jesus saw Peter for who he could become, not what he was. And you know how the story ends. Just not too long after that, Peter stands on the day of Pentecost and preaches such an amazing sermon that some 3,000 people come and get saved and get baptized, and the church begins. God saw the good in Peter. I was invited to have lunch with the family, and before I ever got to the lunch, one of the guys said to me now preacher when you get there they've got two kids they've got a girl she's like 14 or 15 and she's she's she good kid but they got this boy he's like seven or eight said man he just he just in trouble all the time so I showed up and here's this girl she's 14 15 she all looks you know looks like a girl and then comes this kid He, he looked like a boy looked like he'd been out playing in the yard for about three hours and didn't have a shower hair was all messed up and the mother introduces these two kids she said oh thank you for joining us this is and she introduces her kids here's how she said she goes this is the beauty and the beast (laughs) and when she said that this is the beast i cringed inside i I know the kid's a little ornery but if you're going to introduce him to people as the beauty and the beast the kid's going to grow up that's what he's going to be he's going to be a beast I just looked over at that kid. I just made contact with him through the whole uh, lunch and just tried to encourage him. And I finally just, I said, you know what? I said, so I got you figured out. He's like, what? I said, uh, you're going to be a preacher one day. I said, I just think you're going to be a great preacher. I said, I just see that all over you. It's all over you. You're just going to be a <laughs> And how many of you know that the best preachers were all ornery when they were kids? They make the best preachers. Oh, I want you to know that when God, you know, God, some of you right now, you're a million miles away from where you should be. And the whole world, the world has kind of put you over there. You're no good. You could never be used by God. But God looks at you and sees, you know, you know what he sees in you? He sees that you're one of his children. You, you've been adopted. You've been chosen. You are a saint. He calls us saints. Why does he call us saints? Because he sees what's best in us. Amen. Number four, that we would know God's power, but you just need to know that God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is living inside of you this very moment. Amen? Amen. And number five, write this down. If you knew this power, you would never live another day in defeat. Some of you today are living in defeat because you do not understand the power of God that's inside of you this very moment some of your marriage some of you your marriage is so gone you've you've filed for divorce some of you've already signed the paper and all you've said is that god is not strong enough or powerful enough to put my marriage back together you are so mistaken because the power that raised jesus from the dead that's enough power to put your marriage back together here today you got a you got a son a son or a daughter who's gone astray and you think, well, they're never going to come back. Oh, listen, you have underestimated the power of God. Some of you are living right now thinking life is so difficult. I don't know if I can get through the next six, seven days of my life. Listen, you have the resurrected power of Jesus Christ living inside of you. You're going to get through the next several days. Trust me on that. My, as we close, the last point, write this down that you need to realize that everyone else and everything else in this world is a distant second. You ever seen a race where a guy finishes the finish line and you can't even see who's in second place? Because they haven't even come into the... I mean, this guy won. That's Jesus Christ. I want you to look at verse 21. I want you to look at these verses. Far above. Everybody say far above. Far above. A little bit above. Far above. Oh, oh watch this, here's the Bible, far above all rule, far above all authority, far above all power, far above all dominion, far above every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. And what he's saying here is there is no ruler, there is no king, there is no sultan who outranks Jesus Christ. There is no executive. There is no president. There is no dictator. There is no general who outranks Jesus Christ. There is no power. There is no weapon. There is no political system or structure that outranks Jesus Christ. There is no nation. There is no country. There is no master, no lord, no university or philosopher that outranks Jesus Christ. There is no athlete on this planet There isn't an actress, a politician, a Nobel Peace Prize award winner that outranks Jesus Christ. Jesus rules over all. He has power over all. He has dominion over all, both now in this world and in the world to come. And because of that, because of that, look at verse 22, and God has placed all things under his feet. And appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. Listen, we're going to go into chapter 2. We're going to go into chapter 3. We're getting ready to go into chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. But before we go anything further, you better get one thing straight. That this church belongs to God. He's head over all He is large and in charge, and you and I, our job is simply to do what He asks, what He wills, and what He wishes. And every day when you get up, instead of worrying about what you need to be doing, you need to be thinking about what does God want me to do, and spend the rest of your days here on this earth knowing that He is first and everything is a distant second. Let's stand. Let's stand.
0: In these uncertain times, We know as Christians there's a great comfort available to us in the form of prayer. If you feel the need right now for someone to pray with, we have phone counselors standing by ready to take your call. Our number is easy to dial. It's 888-818-4777. If you were unable to get through on your first try, please be sure to try again. Our phone number again is 888-818-4777. We also want you to know that Pastor Dudley Rutherford has a monthly devotional that he'd like to share with you. You can easily sign up to receive this devotional by simply going to our website, liftupjesus.com, and clicking on a link at the top of the page that says Monthly Devotional. There is a place on the Monthly Devotional page where you can enter your name and email address and begin receiving Pastor Dudley's monthly devotions on a regular basis. It's that simple. This is just one of the many resources we offer on our website, liftupjesus.com. That website again is liftupjesus.com. I'm Kyle Welch, hoping you'll join us again tomorrow night at this same time here on KKLA as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.